Okay, before we go to today's guest, I have some news that I'm sort of excited about. Okay. After quite a long time of not DJing, I'm going to start DJing again. Okay. But in a very specific way, time, and place. Okay. So the first DJ event I'll be doing will be on October 29th at a little bar in Hollywood called Gold Diggers. Mm-hmm. And I'll be DJing with Raul Campos from KCRW, an old, good old friend of mine. But here's where I hopefully get to interesting. I'll be DJing on October 29th at 2 p.m. until 6 p.m. Party animal. So it's a Sunday afternoon. It's sort of in the tradition of Sunday afternoon disco tea parties. Mm-hmm. There was this, and still goes on, where there was like a long tradition of after-after parties that would happen on Sundays for people who'd been up all night. In this case, I assume most people will go, who go won't have been up all night from the night before. Mm-hmm. I just <laughs> love the idea of doing something in the middle of the day. So you walk in like it's a bright, sunny day and you walk inside and there's this underground dance music event happening. I love it. But there's more. (gasps) Ready? Yeah. Okay. So the the more is it's only $5. Love that. Because it just seems like we live in this world where people charge so much money for tickets. And like going out to a concert in some cases is like a week salary for people. So Raul and I are DJing $5 to get in. That's it. $5. And here's where hopefully it gets even better. Oh, my God. All the money that comes in the door, all the people giving their $5 is going to go to a charity started by our next guest. By Gwenna Hunter. So Gwenna Hunter, who we're going to talk to in just a minute, she's this super inspiring animal rights activist and vegan who has one of the only vegan food banks in Los Angeles. And I love what she's doing and her commitment to it and her approach to it. So all the money that comes in on October 29th when Raul Campos and I are DJing is going to go to Gwena Hunter's Vegan Food Bank. So the quick recap from what I just said, October 29th, 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., me DJing with Raul Campos, $5 to get in at Gold Diggers in East Hollywood and... Oh, the only other thing I would mention, sorry for just rambling on, but boy, oh boy, I'm excited and I've had (laughs) coffee, is musically, it's going to be a very eclectic approach to dance music. Like what? So some house music, some soul, some R&B, some dance hall reggae, some old funk, some disco and post-disco. So very, not just one-dimensional dance music, like a really broad, eclectic approach to dance music. That sounds so fun. Also historically eclectic, like songs from two weeks ago and songs from 50 years ago. I love that. That sounds like an amazing time, especially for an afternoon. I feel like... It's such a nice approach to know that you're going to get variety. You just came from brunch. Your tummy's a little full. You want to dance it off. And you want to have that like, oh, maybe a little bit of soul. We'll get a different group out onto the dance floor right now. Yes, I love your enthusiasm and I am grateful for it because I'm really excited to do this. Hopefully it works out. And also Gwenna, who we're about to talk to, she'll be there. And in between Raul's DJ set and my DJ set, she's going to come out and talk to the audience. And maybe if people feel inspired, they can donate money in addition to the $5 it costs to get in. And I hope that they do, because honestly, Gwenna, who who we will talk to, who you will hear this conversation in a few moments, Gwenna is one of the most beautiful 
beautiful humans. She has this deep spiritual approach to a compassionate way of living, and it's so inspiring. And what she's done with her life, which is start this vegan food bank in Los Angeles, I mean, it's moving. She's a fantastic human being, and supporting vegans of L.A., is a really freaking cool thing to do, yep. Mo. Yeah, so how about we go talk to Gwenna now? Yeah, I'm so excited for everyone to meet her. <laughs> okay, let's go talk to <laughs> Gwenna. Hi, Gwenna. Hi, Gwenna. Hello. <laughs> so before we started recording, you guys were having all sorts of very interesting, very esoteric mm -hmm. conversations. And I don't want to stop the conversation, but also selfishly, I want to know more about where you come from. And so can I ask just some very basic biographical questions? Yes. Which seems like a disservice because I love how esoteric and, we can go and back. nuanced the conversation is. I feel like it will be available when yeah. we're ready for it again. Yeah, I'm charged up. I'm out yeah. back. Okay. So just simply, I love knowing about people like where were you born? Where did you grow up? What were things like when you were growing up? If you can walk us through childhood up until let's say around 20 or thereabouts. Okay. Okay. Um, so I was actually born in a little teeny, eeny, weeny, weeny town called Greensboro, Alabama. Very rural. You can probably walk through it in about 25 minutes. Everybody's either related or date. Like, it's just one of those towns. <laughs> and uh, that's where my mom grew up. Very kind of uh, my grandpa parents, and I appreciate it so much now. They've passed, but I didn't appreciate it as a kid, but they recycled. They grew their own um, food, their own fruits, vegetables. They did have some animals, um, and they lived like off the grid. And growing up, I couldn't stand it, but now it's like, oh, I get it. They were the real environmentalists back then. So fast forward maybe a year or two, and my mom is in Cleveland, Ohio, and that's where I was raised, in Cleveland, Ohio, until about 2003. I grew up with my mom. Um, I had a stepdad that was uh, paranoid schizophrenic. That was interesting. I think that helped me create so much awareness because I was always like on alert because as a child, deep down, I understood that something was off. And so I could always feel when it was going to trigger. And so when I would sense that oh, something's about to trigger this other aspect, it would make me shift my energy. So I was always on alert. Can, so, can I interrupt for one second? Yes. Because I grew up around mentally ill, some mentally ill people. And I don't know if you ever had this experience where I would be walking home from school and I would be a quarter mile away from my house and I'd be like, oh, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Like you develop this yes. sort of like yes. self-protective yes. radar. You're like, okay, I'm not walking. Like I, I don't remember ever walking into my house being surprised at what was going on. Yeah, like a like, hyper awareness. Just kind of like you sense this vibration from hundreds of yards or even like further away, like, uh-oh, yeah. someone is decompensating. Someone's unstable. Someone's yes. angry. There's yep. a fight going on. There's a something going on. So I don't know if you ever had that experience. Yeah, because you were probably psychic and in tuned. And so you knew something and you knew how to tap into that energy. That's how I was too. Like I would know, you know, it would just even be something as simple as like, okay, he's, he's, a, he's uh, overexerting himself. He's sweating. I would know it's going to come on shortly. But yeah, I walked home from school, you know, back in the, I grew up in the 70s. So it's like, 
we walked like three miles, like really did. We did walk like a lot. (laughs) So the closer I would get to home, and I think it's because the magnetic energy, the force field, you start to pick up like, okay, there's something going on Mm -hmm. at my house or this is this. And so, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, and, and so, yeah, because I always, I my solace was dreams. So, like, I got a lot of my information, even as I remember dreams when I was four years old. I would get a lot of information about dreams. I would see, like, dark demonic figures in the house, like, all types of, like, weird stuff that I would get. But anyhow, that was until I was, like, about 12, and then they divorced. And then that's around the time I started getting into, like, reading about, like, near-death experiences, my mom had shared a story with me about her seeing a, a dead relative when she was a kid. And I was like, I knew there was something. Like, I was like, just waiting for somebody to share something. And so that just really got me into that. So I was always on this, like, searching for what the truth is. Like, I was always like, I'm going to figure you out. Remember Miss Butterworth? Mm-hmm. I thought she was real. So I would be like, you can go ahead and talk. Like, I would talk to, like, <laughs> you know, it would just be me and her. And I'm like, it's okay. It's just me and you. You can do this. So I would like to To be fair, to- the cartoon, Lindsay was. Miss Butterworth before your time? No, I was very familiar. (laughs) I mean, I definitely created my own relationships with (laughs) many cartoon characters. But like Miss Butterworth seemed so welcoming and kind, and like I was like, oh, I want to be, I want, I want to be related to Mrs. Butterworth. That syrup was just—I God knows what was in it. It was probably all corn syrup. You know, it was all sugar. I loved it so. Oh my God, I loved it. Yeah, I remember the first time I had real maple syrup. I was horrified. I was. Like this is what not is maple this? syrup. This, I want Mrs. Butterworth. I want log cabin. I want yeah. something. Not log cabin. Yeah. I just want something that tastes sweet, like maple syrup. Right. You oh. need that diabetes. Yeah. Oh, I love going to IHOP and just pouring all the syrups over those stacks of disgusting pancakes. Yeah. So sorry, we di- okay. we digress. Yeah. So, yeah, I would look at life like kind of from that lens. I was always ready for the supernatural to like pop off at any time. And I remember watching, um, I think it was Damien or something. It was some movie and the kid was like telekinetic or whatever. And so I re- I still want that, to be honest with you. And so like <laughs> I would try to like make things move with my mind. And like I was just really into all this like really supernatural stuff. So um Fast forward to an adult. Yeah, I'm growing up in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, I left uh, probably in 2003. Um, I was working for a really popular uh, urban radio station at the time, doing marketing and sales and writing uh, commercials and stuff like that and loved it. And I was like... There were people that I went to kindergarten with that I worked with. I was like, I'm just so tired of seeing like the same people all the time. I want to see another part of the world. And ended up getting a job offer in Miami, Florida, moved out there. And it was like such a culture shock. It was like I went from black, white and a sprinkle of other to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to handle it. It was almost kind of stressful to me because I was seeking other like, you know, black people. And I would see somebody black and then they speak Spanish. Or I see somebody black and they're speaking French. So I'm like, well, where did they have black people? Like, I was just like <laughs> looking for like, you know, a connection or whatever. And I had a hard time embracing like the culture because it was just so overwhelming. And uh, people kept asking me, what are you? And I'm like, I'm black. And they're like, well, what? no, but what are you? And I was like, I've never had anybody ask me that before. And I'm like, 
damn, this is fucked up. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and I, I never even really explored the question. And so moving to Miami, Florida, it made me dig deeper. And um, I went there. I always say I went there a girl and left there a woman. That's when I felt like I started, like, activating. Um, I felt really psychic when I was living there. I felt very intuitive. I don't know if it's a combination of the sun and the ocean and all the different elements, but it really activated my um, spiritual senses. But I wasn't vegan there yet. I was just, you know, going through life's journeys and paths. And I went from Miami to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina after five years. And I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for five years. And I did a stint uh, in Dallas, Texas for a year with a job. And then I did uh, Atlanta, Georgia for a quick minute, came to Los Angeles to visit and end up never leaving. I wanted to leave, but I kept getting this strong voice telling me, not yet, you're supposed to be here. And it was mm. so strong. And during that time, I was going through like poverty. Like I went from abundance to poverty in a very short period of time. And I couldn't wait to leave, but something just kept saying, don't leave, you're supposed to be hmm. here. And so I knew I needed to trust because every time I hear that voice, it's never wrong. So um, February of 2016 um, is when my life took a whole new direction. And it was from a dream that I had. And so in the dream, I'm flying in the sky and I see this really uh, beautiful green pasture and this really beautiful cow um, in the pasture. And I look down and she looks up at me. And when she looks at me, uh, it was almost like there were like these two like tunnels. And I felt like I went through it. And when I did, we merged and became one. And I had all of her consciousness. And I was the cow. So we merged and became one. I always wonder if she became me. But I know I became <laughs> her mm -hmm. for sure. And... In the experience, like her life, like flashed before me, and I possessed every aspect of her childbirth, children, how she felt about humans, like everything she had experienced as her own being, I experienced it too. And so when I came out of the dream, I was like crying because I was like, oh my God, cows love? Because that was like the most profound thing that I felt was her love and her nurturing. Like it was very pure. And I'm like, oh, my God, cows love and we eat them. It never dawned on me in all of my like searching and being spiritual and medicine, all this other shit. Like it never even crossed my mind that a cow or a pig or a chicken had awareness. I just was like, OK, their bodies on feet. And even though they move and give birth, like I never even questioned it. And at the time I was vegetarian, but not for any ethical reasons. One thing happened during my journey is I couldn't eat cows anymore. Like I would try to eat, I was eating like corned beef sandwiches or steaks or stuff like that. And I would have the most violent reaction in my body. Mm. And so that I think was like the first like start, like you, you're going to be saving us. You can't be eating us, you know, <laughs> but I didn't know what was going on at the time. My body just wouldn't take it. And so I'm crying. I'm just like, oh, my God, as much as I'm a believer, I also add, like, allow myself to be a skeptic, too. Like, OK, what just happened here? Like, is this real? Because, you know, that's a huge awakening to have, like, coming out of your sleep that animals are conscious. And like, it was just it was a lot for me to process. So I was just like, did this really happen? Did I just eat something weird? Was this real? <laughs> and as I'm like laying in the bed awake, 
I feel like all of a sudden I felt like this warm, felt like a heater. Like there was like a really soft heater that somebody put like right over my chest. And I'm looking and I'm like, what the heck? And then I put my hand on it. And when I put my hand on it, I was like paralyzed with like the most supreme peace. It was warm, but it wasn't like uh, sitting under a lamp or like a heater warm. It was like this unconditional love warm and it was quiet and it was soft and it was safe and I felt like I could have just checked out and like I'd have been like by earth like I'm going (laughs) wherever this is I'll hang out here like nice knowing you all like if I'd had that option I would have taken it because that's how beautiful it felt and maybe it lasted for like maybe like five seconds and when it stopped I was and I could I could feel like a tingle on me And I was like, okay, that was the cow giving me a piece of her, like letting me know this was real. And then because of that experience, like within the next like 24 to 48 hours, I came across um, Aaron Janice's video, Darius Effing Scary. And when I saw that, I was like, are you really fucking kidding me? Because I thought Farmer sits in his blue jean overall, sits on the stump, he milks her, she says moo, gives her milk. I thought it was a mutual beneficial experience. But when I saw what was going on and I saw the machines hooked up to her her teats and I saw her running after her calf when they take her child, um, her in the, they're calling those those rape racks. And I saw like all this stuff. I didn't think this poor cow, I thought like this poor woman. To me, she was like Mm. another part of the, she was a female, she was a woman. And I was like, this is the same blueprint that was used for slavery same exact blueprint because taking your children from you not giving you there was no separation in my mind and I'm glad it happened like that because you know sometimes we separate and we're like oh don't say this and don't say that and I've been a part of all that stuff but the truth is this that blueprint it works you know convincing the human population that this person isn't worthy. Uh, This person came to this planet to be here for you. They're put here for you to do what you want. You can take their child. It's okay. You can do what you want with their body, their labor. You commodify them. Like, it's the same blueprint. Mm -hmm. And like, argue with me on it. It's the same exact (laughs) blueprint. I mean, hearing you say it, like, I agree with you. As a cisgendered white man, who's also a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, like, (laughs) when people talk about the Holocaust, I'm just going to sit here and listen. Yeah. When people talk about slavery, I'm like, you know what? I don't know what that experience would be like i'm gonna sit here and listen but like the logic you're using you know like it just makes so much sense but i want to address you being a white since gender protestant male (laughs) (laughs) and not being able to say these things and i just wanted to say you know case you know what people are how they may feel listening to this that's because there's the triggers are still so very sensitive Mm -hmm. and I believe at some point, I don't know this lifetime or next, but we'll get to a point where we can talk freely where a white cisgender male can say this and the triggers aren't there. But because of the sensitivity and trauma and unhealed wounds and work that needs to be done, I didn't even share that that part of it for a while when I was first in the mood. I didn't even share about my dream the first two years that this is why I went vegan because I saw certain people discount spiritual experiences and mm-hmm. 
And then I would hear people say, oh, you can't compare this. Like even black people, I would hear, you know, don't do the comparison. Don't do that. But I'm like, this is my fucking truth. And whatever's my truth is, even if it's a little bit ahead of the curve, it's my truth. And it took me a while to like stand in the power of that and to be honest and to start sharing my own story because I didn't want to come. I didn't want to get canceled. I'm up (laughs) against, you know, all this stuff. But now I'm kind of starting not to give a damn. Well, that's one of the reasons (laughs) We were really excited to talk to you further because when we first met you, the spiritual component of your experience is so powerful. I mean, we I, we love talking to activists. We love talking to intelligent people. We love talking to compassionate people. But your the spiritual dimension of your experience is really fascinating. So I'm glad I'm glad that you're not keeping your light under a bushel. Mm, <laughs> but also how connected you are to the emotional experience of your activism. I think a lot of people have have to keep it separate because the emotional side of it is so hard. And I know I have to turn that side off because I get so sad, so mad, so just overwhelmed sometimes. Yeah. And you manage to keep it all together where you can have your emotions about it and still stay driven and focused. But not all it. the time. There's sometimes I get emotional. There's, mm-hmm. I remember having a conversation at an event where I spoke at, and I was, I forget what the topic was, but I was explaining like how I give, because I've had to go through different journeys of how I talk to people about animal activism and rights and this, that, and the other without getting cussed out and kicked out of places and things like that. And what I was really trying to tell people was that you know, you can go vegan because of logic. Like people, it connects people on different reasons. For me, the spiritual part like knocked me to the floor. You know, if somebody would have gave me a book to read or something, it may not have done much. Maybe if I would have saw a video, maybe that would have helped. But if someone gave me some statistics or some science behind it, that may not have penetrated me, but it penetrated me through what's active in my spirit. You know, when this happened, I was like, all I got to do is just tell people my dream. All I got to do is just tell mm-hmm. people, oh, they love. That's it. Like, I'm like, I'm about to fix this whole thing right now by just <laughs> telling people that animals love their children mm-hmm. and that they're conscious. And that was further from the truth. And so what I've understood is that it's kind of like an awakening or an activation. And so some people may get activated by hearing you talk about it. Some people are, you know, logical. They data. They want to see the numbers. Okay, then that makes sense to me. I'll go vegan. Some people want to hear about the health aspect Mm -hmm. because that may relate to them more and that may cause an activation. So it's just based on whatever is alive in that person, more active is how you penetrate that. And so that helped me to not take it personal because I went through that, you know, being judgmental, being uh, a mean vegan for a little mm-hmm. bit because I was just so pissed off at the fact that I had been lied to and trusted the schools to tell me I need to get my protein from steak and not this and that. <laughs> and then I'm finding all this stuff and I'm like, who in the hell is running this ship? Who's creating these lot? Like, so I started just like having all these different poof, And just like my top being blown off and learning that the meat and dairy industry and they fund the public schools and this. And I'm like, wait. So, yeah, I was pissed off for like the first four months. Mm -hmm. I was posting slaughter videos on Facebook like this must stop and all this other stuff. And then I realized I was alienating people. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, I want to be effective. Let me calm it down. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let me tone it down. And I'm, I'm more effective with love anyhow. The anger makes me exhausted and it's distracting. And then you, you attract attract people that want to argue with you because they see that you're easy target and they can get some attention from you. And so I realized like that's not the route for me. I'm more of a lover. So let me go the the love route. But um, I remember speaking at an event 
to all animal rights activists at this event. And I was talking about using compassion in your conversations when you're speaking with strangers, like a way to do it without it being about race and color. One of the guys was like, uh, love is not going to fix this. And he's like, he was telling me like, you got to use, um, you got to hit people where it hurts, you got to hit them hard and you got to this and you got to use logic. A lot of people that you see a lot of celebrities that go vegan because of logic or it's popular. And then they turn around and they're like, they're they're back to eating animals again. Mm -hmm. But when you get somebody in the heart, when you help that part open up and that part expands, I feel like you have a, a vegan for life. You know, you have somebody that's in it for the win. Anyway, after this conversation, so many vegans, and most of them were white, were coming up to me. They were like, thank you for saying that. I want to be spiritual and I want to talk about love. But I, the group that I'm around, they'll get upset or people don't. Like, I was shocked by how many people were, like, secretly coming up to me saying, I feel the same way, but I don't feel safe talking about love around other animal rights activists. And I'm like, this is absolutely crazy because yeah. love, the lack of love is why we're in this position to mm -hmm. begin with. You reminded me of Ellie, who runs Gentle Barn. Okay. Ellie Lacks. Um, so the first time I went to Gentle Barn, she did something so strategic that sort of proved your point. There was, it was a Saturday afternoon. There are all these people waiting in line to get in. And some guy in line was making jokes because you could see the cows. And he was like, he was like, mmm, burgers. And he looked over and saw some Original. pigs. And he was like, he was like, I'm going to, you know, like, it makes me think of hot dogs. I wanted to like yell at him and maybe even like push, get in a shoving match in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. like, I was so mad at this guy. And Ellie walked over and said to him and smiled and said, oh, sir, I'm sorry that that's all you see when you look at a cow. Like what I see is like a mother, you know, mm -hmm. who's capable of love. But I'm sorry that you can't see that. Mm -hmm. And this guy was transformed. Wow. wow. Like wow. he was like instantly you could tell like she had ninja style. Like <laughs> she disarmed him. Yeah. yeah like, like Absolutely. I wanted to go up and like, you know, again, being an angry white guy from Connecticut. <laughs> like I want to go over and like get in his face and be like, how dare you? You know, like yeah. you're the problem. In which case he would have gotten defensive. We wouldn't have gotten in a fight because I'm a big sissy. But like <laughs> nonetheless, she proved to me like, oh, responding to hate with love isn't just a greeting card, it's strategy. Yes. And it's effective oof, strategy. Oof. You know, I mean, look at Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. or Gandhi. Like, you respond to violence with love, with compassion, with understanding. You don't lie down and let people necessarily hurt you, ideally, but your point really, yeah, mm -hmm. reminded me of, like, the people who can do that are the, the saints. But also it sees that his behavior, that guy's behavior on that day, was a, an internal problem with him. He has some unresolved anger, some that has turned into toxicity or some trauma that has turned into that's how he protects himself from the scary world yeah. around him. Yeah. And one little switch of perspective yes. can heal something. Yes. That's maybe closer to the surface than anyone would care to believe. Yeah. It's, like, it's like it's like spiritual chiropractor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you know, like, so. Like, like an adjustment that all of a sudden everything changes as a mm -hmm. result of it. Yeah, but it's different with everyone. Like the spiritual side of it. I once a long time ago did an energy healing course, and two people came out of it unable to eat meat after that because it it connected them with some. They became so sensitive to feelings. And they told me that 
during the course of that thing, they had tried to eat meat and it made them feel sick because they tasted, they could feel or were more connected with that animal's pain and suffering. Wow. Two people from that program. You need to continue doing that type of work. Yeah, it was beautiful. It does make me think like, I mean, and I'm really thrilled that you're here and we're talking about this. That we'll call it like the non-quantifiable spiritual aspect of existence. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating is the quantum realm is all this. You know, you were talking earlier about like the power of words and self-talk to actually transform you. So in the quantum realm, that happens. Yes. Observing light, you yes. can determine whether it's a particle or a wave. Yes. Like there is yes. the power of thought, the power <laughs> of words. But it's so interesting that like we don't trust like when two plus two doesn't equal four people immediately point their finger and say you're a witch we need to burn her yeah you know <laughs> yes yes oh, oh you're God. crazy and we don't trust yep. you instead of saying maybe i can open up my mind a little bit that's right that's right or maybe more thing more than one thing can be true that right there the that's something i've been into a lot lately is like we're always forced to like make a choice. It has mm -hmm. to be A or B. And then you're like, okay, this, that. But both can be true at the yeah. same time. And I'm learning that with so many different things. And it's like with the anger, you know, there, there's still an angry vegan in here. Like she, <laughs> she's in there and she mm -hmm. wants to sometimes fight and cuss people out and stuff like that. But I manage her because I know that that's not going to like I'm not trying to win anything yeah and so like I've had to learn over the years how to have conversations with people first talk I ever gave I was working for vegan outreach and um I was at a library in Watts and um and we were feeding people and it was like my first time getting ready to talk and I was already like shaking having like internal anxiety and I'm just like oh my god and they were already looking at me like what are you about to talk about <laughs> and I was terrified and of course my worst fear came true because I'm talking about animal rights which I did it that way and you're in a community of people that you know struggling to pay the bills keep the lights on eat and you're talking about the rights of animals they don't want to hear this shit you yeah. know they're like what the hell do i want to hear about that for i just got arrested for something crazy and you know they don't want to hear that so i got i got cursed out and the guy went off on me and i handled it and and brought it back in but i was terrified after that and so i had to learn how to have these conversations and so one of the things that i like to say when i'm talking to people of any background is it's a very universal conversation. I usually like to start off and ask people, has anyone ever experienced any form of trauma or suffering in their life? And, you know, if you're an adult, most people have experienced some type of suffering or some type of trauma in their life. Has anyone lost autonomy of their body? Has anyone ever been abused? Has anyone ever been taken advantage of? Has anyone, you know, been mentally or physically abused? And so it kind of puts people in a different type of state. Mm -hmm. And then... You know, I let people know, too, that to help disarm people, because I usually ask people like what they know about vegans. Oh, they're judgy and preachy. And it, like there's always these judgments about us because sometimes we do go into places a little preachy and judgy. And so to kind of disarm people or just to help them surrender their hearts just a little bit, you know, I'll remind them like, yeah, I ate all of it, too. I loved it. You know, just to kind of let people know, like, I'm a real person and I was just like you. I wasn't born vegan. And I'll tell them, like, you know, with these animals, like we eat like the way we like consume, like we eat their arms and we eat their legs and we eat their butts and we eat their breasts. Like can't we actually eat somebody's breasts? We put somebody's breasts on a plate and we eat it and we're told that this is healthy. We eat their necks. 
Uh, then we go inside their bodies and then we eat their organs and we eat their livers, we eat their hearts, and then we take their ribs out of their body. And then we barbecue their ribs and put sauce on them. Like, that's crazy, right? You know, people are looking at me, they're like, oh my God, this is like completely, like the way you're looking, like it's completely disgusting. But it's like, no one can ever argue with me because I'm not, I'm just saying what we do. And then I'm like, and then we, after we're done, you know, eating their butts and legs and feet and hands and all that stuff and eating their hearts and liver and ribs, then we take the skin off their body and then we like wear them. We make coats out of them. We make shoes and purses. And I'm like, if I didn't know any better, I feel like we were on a some type of, you know, this is some type of cult, like some type of blood cult. And then people start like looking at each other and they're like, oh my God, it's actually disgusting because now it's, it, it kind of helps wake you up to what we're actually doing on this planet. And it's like, if I wasn't from here and I came to this planet, I'm like, they do what? There is a theory that there's tons of intelligent spacefaring life in the universe. And they took one look at Earth and they're like, oh, stay away from that uh -huh. place. Like, they <laughs> will crazy. lock you in a cage and they'll eat you. Like, yes. Yes. So like that the aliens every now and then check in on us, like, have they figured this out? Right. That maybe like Ooh. torturing and killing innocent beings and eating them and wearing their skin is not the best way to live. Yeah. So they're I might do be a drive by Earth and be like, nope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, no they thanks. like take a look at our solar system. They're like, well, the rest of it seems interesting. But that one planet where they torture and kill innocent beings and eat them and wear them. Let's give that a miss. Exactly. Where they cut down their beautiful old growth forests and rainforests so that they can have more blood and skins to wear. And they kill each other in wars. They actually think mm -hmm. they're enemies. Yeah. Yeah. They kill based each on, other. Based on the way uh, oftentimes the beliefs that they have about the benign, loving architect of the universe. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like yeah. killing someone because you have a different idea. But it's also to forgive a little. It's all we've ever known. It's the world we were born into. It's the world our parents were born into and their parents before. And I think it's such a, a, a hefty load to say, let's redo it all. But I think that it's happening in little pieces. Like when I went vegan in Texas in 2005, people were like, Vagin? What is yeah. she? <laughs> what is it? Mm -hmm. So you can have yeah. are you from the Are you from the planet Vegia? Yeah. <laughs> like they didn't know. And now I would say everyone has an, a near intimate awareness yeah. with what it is. So I feel like even in my lifetime, in a chunk of my lifetime, I have we have all seen change yes. happen. Yeah. But it doesn't make it feel any better because then, you know, you have meaningful conversations like this with people and then you see them like laughing and giggling over a over a burger. And it's like, and, mm, yeah, but you know that there's other options, at least. And that's improvement. You, you reminded me there is that. And I was having this conversation. I, I probably name dropped him before, but with with Cory Booker after he was elected is the question of like, because we've lived through huge changes. Mm hmm. You know, if we were having this conversation 40 years ago, well, granted, Lindsay, you would not have been born. This is true. But <laughs> at that point, the Soviet Union was there. People smoked on airplanes. Same-sex mm -hmm. couples couldn't get married. There were no black senators. There were no black governors. There were no... Yeah, different world. Everything was completely different. And so now, like, we've seen radical, huge yes. change. Like, one day, the Soviet Union wasn't there anymore. One day, people couldn't smoke on airplanes. One day, same-sex couples could get married. One day, we had a black president. 
so it's the question, when does this change? When does when the way we yeah. eat, the way we treat innocent beings, like when is that change going to happen? Where now we're like, oh, sure, same-sex couples. I mean, unless you're some lunatic Republican. Who's trying to overturn that currently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> like when are we going to sort of like look at using animals for food and fashion the way we look at smoking on airplanes yeah. like it might still exist but boy it's weird and barbaric and i can't believe people used to do that yeah i will say my mother knows what attachment theory is now i feel like mm. there is a well, revolution. she's also got you who she talks to every day so <laughs> like, but i do feel like because of my generation and especially gen z there is like people are starting to care more about themselves and i have a deep mm-hmm. belief that until humans can figure their own shit out animals are super boned like until humans can learn Is that to- a pun yes Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like animals can't thrive, you know, oppressed humans can't thrive until we all can figure out how to treat ourselves better and be more compassionate internally mm-hmm. so that that compassion can then turn out yes. and also how to yeah. take care of ourselves in a way so we can be worried about other people. I think a lot of people are so day to day, how am I going, where am I going to sleep? How, how am I going to yeah. eat to be concerned about an animal when they don't know how they're going to survive the next day is too much to ask. So as we can find more comfort and ease in our lives as humans, I think then we can extend it to animals as well. I completely agree with that. I guess this is about quite a while ago. I went to an animal rights event and David Carter, the 300-pound mm-hmm. vegan, was speaking. And he got in front of this huge audience of basically, like, white animal rights activists. And he said, like, he said, look, I got to tell you, I'm the only black person here. And that's weird. Like, mm. you know, like, he's like, like, why is the movement so white? And people are like, yeah, that's a really good question. And then I feel like it's changed. Have you noticed that? And what do oh, you think? Oh, God, have I noticed? So when I first started out, I created a community called Vegans of LA and I put it on Facebook and started posting stuff and it started growing. And But it was mostly white women initially. And I didn't know any black vegans like in real life, just like somebody that lived in Maryland or in another state, but I didn't know any in real life. And I remember as I started posting things like, you know, I would feel compelled to post things about animals. And from Black people, I would get, oh, this is some white shit or why are you must care more about people than like the typical boring stuff that people always say, like, oh, you care more about, because I think people weren't sure who ran the page, but I posted mostly things for like Black people, um, recipes and different influencers and things like that. And so sometimes I would get like, I would feel exhausted from taking the hits and it'd be like, oh God, do I want to post today about, you know, what's in my heart? And sometimes I would cower and not do it because I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like taking the damn hits today. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, golly, why are we lacking so much compassion when it comes to animals? But if I post anything like a recipe or something about health, people would be into it. So I had to realize that people just haven't, at that time, I felt like just haven't expanded their hearts because I know when I was growing up, you didn't see dogs in a person's house. They considered that nasty. Dogs were usually tied up to trees. They were given scraps from the table. So there wasn't like how would I see it now. It was it was totally different when I was growing up. How This was in the Deep South? Or? This was like in Cleveland. Okay. 
in the hood. And so, yeah, animals were like usually get left outside or, you know, chained to a tree and, you know, given their food or let out for a little bit, but talked to very sternly. So I never really saw that, like, animals sleeping in the bed with you, them kissing on you, like those things yeah. are kind of like taboo, like you don't do that. And so I think a lot of other Black people grew up, you know, very similar. But I started noticing like probably around like 2019 or so, Black people speaking up for animals or agreeing with something. I'm like, oh, the shift is happening. Like now I can post something about animal and I'm not getting like, now I'm getting cheers instead of all the booze at first in the beginning. It was like, I, I felt like I was on an island. I'm like, my goodness, like where are the people that actually, well, it's health or it's this. It's like, but you can do all of it. You can actually love an animal and you can love a human too. You don't have to choose. It's not mm. a choice. You don't have to pick one over the other. And so, yeah, seeing that journey and now it's like, I see so many, especially when I go on social media, so many vegans of color that are talking about animals and are that came into the movement because of animals and that are in it for animals, health, the planet, the environment. And so, yeah, just seeing the evolution. But I know when I first got involved in like animal rights and volunteering and everything, there were these two worlds I was in. So, you know, here in LA, the white vegan community kind of like scooped me up and taught me thy ways and, <laughs> you know, speciesism and things I had never even heard of and all the freaking rules and you don't eat honey, you don't say pet, you don't do, like, it was just like, whoo goodness, like all these freaking rules. It was like so many different things that I was like learning, but I wouldn't have learned that in the black vegan community. But in the black vegan community, once I got involved with that, there was, to me, a little bit more acceptance and more patience of like the journey. Mm -hmm. Whereas I would see people in the white vegan community at that time, if somebody made a mistake or was in a group and said, oh, I, I just uh, ate some chicken wings last night. What should I? Oh, you did this. Well, like people would just like pound on them. Or if somebody had a question about honey, you see 500 comments. It's like, why are you the 500 person making the comment? Like you don't yeah. need to go in there and say anything. And so it felt like with white people, I could be vulnerable about animals. With Black people, I could make mistakes or I could be honest about this, that, and the other without getting condemned. So it was like these two worlds where one part I felt accepted, the other part I felt rejected. This part I felt rejected, this side I felt accepted. So I had to, like, within myself, you know, create my own <laughs> community acceptance. But the journey was rough in the beginning. But, yeah, now I see the movement, and, and not sure if you know this, but this is probably for like the third straight year, could be longer, that um, African-Americans specifically are the fastest growing population to go vegan. Oh, without question. I mean, I, I started seeing it when I owned Little Pine. Mm, yeah. Um, because it was just sort of a given for the longest time that you would go to a vegan restaurant and it would just be, it would be very white. It was gender mixed, which was nice, you know, very, yeah. very welcoming, very inclusive. But like veganism was largely a Caucasian thing. And I would say from my perspective, it was around 2015, 2016, I started noticing this wonderful change. And there's one day at Little Pine when I owned it where like the majority of people in the restaurant were people of color. And I just mm. thought, wow, you would never have seen this. And I went, I went to Real Food Daily one day and it was the vast majority of people in the restaurant mm. were people of color, like 80%, 20%. And I was just like, oh, so finally, like, yeah, yeah. the shift has happened. Granted, yes. we're in Los Angeles. It might not be happening elsewhere, but I like being so inspired 
again, like, and I say this qualifying it being an inbred white guy from Connecticut, but like <laughs> being so inspired by the the energy and the passion and the perspective that people of color have, you know? Yeah. I mean, like John Lewis, badass yeah, vegan, like yeah. his perspective, his energy is so, there's a, just like a sort of like a joy and fearlessness. Mm -hmm. It's very know. contagious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a lot of us white people are just not very good at being joyful or fearless. <laughs> like we're all sort of a, like either like angry or apologizing. Yeah, mm -hmm. which both can be annoying. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> both can be annoying. Um, it's interesting because you said angry or apologize and it just made me think of a experience i had created this group at the time it's not very active now but i created a group called vegans for black lives matter right in the height of george floyd and i didn't even know why i created the group because i don't like i really don't want a group i don't want to be bothered with people's energy and emotions and creating a group and managing that but it came to me like a divine like ping to do it and so i'm like okay i already every time i get this divine ping i know to just trust it so i created the group and wasn't going to really do anything with it for like a couple of weeks. But the next day, there were like 500 people in the group. The next day, it was like a thousand. And next thing I know, there's like, I think at the time, at that time, it was like, it ended up being like over 4,000 people in the group, pretty much all vegans. And because of all the hostility that was going on between like with George Floyd and all of that, there was so much, and it was mostly white people in the group, there was so much anger and sadness and apologizing and rage. And I'm very like what you we call empathic. So I can feel something through the phone. I can read it if somebody texts it and feel it. So I'm like taking in all this stuff and it was just so much um <sighs> just so much energy and emotion and so much apologizing and the apologizing was more toxic than the rage. Mm. It was like, please stop apologizing. Just step up, empower yourself. So I just wanted to share that because when you said those two words together, it brought me back to when I when I was uh, when the group was in its height and how toxic over apologizing can be for a situation. So I just wanted to share that. Mm. Something I noticed that you keep bringing up is that you are you are very driven to start communities, start groups, start these movements, because when that was going on, it would have never occurred to me to say, I'm going to start a group for this in my niche, you know, but you seem so driven to do that. A, what do you think drives you to do it? And B, what are some of the other groups that you started, some of your favorites? Yeah, so when I started the group Vegans for Black Lives Matter, I, I really can't like give you a beautiful answer because I really was in opposition of creating the group. I don't know if it's like an ancestor or a guide or my higher self or just a part of me that's activating because this was meant to be. But one of the purposes that I realized for the group was like we all needed a place to contain our anger mm. and to share our pain and our rage. And this was a safe and also unsafe place to do that. And so I realize now the purpose of why that was necessary because so many hard conversations were being had in the group, some really ugly conversations, people cussing each other out. I was getting cussed out, kicking people out the group, getting people yelling at me, mad at me, white women in my inbox telling me I'm racist for doing this, like all Ugh. types of like really hard conversations. And then for me, I had been someone that had been like suppressing my feelings over 
police brutality or bad treatment of Black people. It's like, I don't want to see it. So I would like see a quick snippet of it on the news and I click off or I see it on my timeline and I click off because I'm like, I do not want to feel that. But it was still in me. So having the group, I had to like be honest with myself and like allow myself to like feel and read the article, watch the whole video, process the feelings. And so that was probably like a really empowering and also depressing year because I cried a lot that Mm. year but I let myself do it because I knew that I needed to like process the pain and the energy and stop suppressing and ignoring stuff and actually go head on and face it I think that's probably why so many other people in the group because they needed to do the same so it was a place for us to just kind of like deal with our emotions and our energy and then also you know also dealing with what's going on with the animals you know because when you really think about that horror story. Think about what's happening to an animal right now at a slaughterhouse. It's like, okay, I'm thinking about animals being slaughtered. They're going through this. Then police, like it was a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was a very, very heavy year. So I've had to learn how to like process this. Even now, like if I go through my timeline, if I see some warning, I'm like, nope, I'm not about to watch that. You know, even (laughs) if it's animals or whatever, I, I pick and choose when I want to like have all that stuff. But, you know, as an activist, uh, most of us that I've experienced that I've gotten to know, we know what it's like to deal with abuse or trauma or drama or some form of pain. And so that's why we connect so easily with this type of movement and with the animals. And, you know, for me too, it's not just the animals too. It's also like, you're going to liberate the animals but how are you gonna do that when when humans are have not been liberated but in a sense I also say that we are liberated so I gotta figure out how to say this without being canceled because I don't know if you're gonna highlight this or not mm-hmm. but so there's certain words that I've outgrown using uh, for humans especially for black people because I notice like in this movement it's very popular to be put in these different boxes and then put into another box and then another box and another box, meaning like black woman, if you're trans, if you're disabled, if like all these different boxes, if you're oppressed, which is probably one of the most popular boxes. And I don't particularly for myself, if you choose that description, I have no argument with you. But for Gwenna, I do not want to ever be described as oppressed nor do I want to be described as marginalized, nor do I want to be described as a minority, keyword minor, and mm. because words matter. And to me, so it's like, if you are, like we are an oppressive system. There are things in place where oppression is created. There's obstacles, there's roadblocks to prevent certain people from winning. But to me, the person that's doing that, they're oppressed. There's no reason for me to call myself oppressed. And so I'm not even sure why I'm even going with this. But, you know, once I came to this realization, it was like another level of awakening. Like, wait a minute, why am I letting people call me oppressed? So, like, I have started a vegan food bank last May. And when people ask to, like, write about the food bank or tell a story about it, I let them know, do not describe the people that come to the food bank as oppressed. Do not describe them as marginalized. Free food is empowering. 
It's your birthright, first of all. Everybody should be entitled to free food. There should be free food resource centers all over the planet, all over zip, especially in Los Angeles. So free food shouldn't be a sad thing to where we have to say, oh, these poor people standing in line and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, I, I do not allow people to do that if it's under my control. But again, it's like words matter. Like when you strip away all the illusions, all the bullshit, all the uniforms, all the badges, all the titles, all the robes. We're all here as regular ass people on the planet, but we've allowed certain systems in place and we've allowed certain people to take control and do this and and rule over and play these different games. But the thing is, we're all one. Like we're all on the same planet together. Like what's the coincidence in that? Like we're all here together. There are so many studies that say like the first person came from Africa and from that we're all freaking one. There really is no separation. The separation and you being you and you being you and you being you, you know, that's just part of the game and part of the illusion. But we are one family. We're one team. And I personally believe that planetary unity, which is plug for my new nonprofit, um, (laughs) (laughs) is possible in this lifetime. I didn't think that before. I think, oh, it's going to take probably like 10 generations for planetary unity. But all it takes is just a shift in mindset. And unity doesn't mean that you all love each other and like each other and all that. But it means that you come together for a common cause like we do as vegans. Like we know in the vegan world, we do not all like each other. Like we have our (laughs) drama in this movement. But we do agree on one thing, that we shouldn't be eating animals. That's unity. So we do more of that in different areas and come together. No one can put us under these programs and illusions. But also, too, I also believe that some of these struggles are part of the game. So I want to share one little quick experience that I had. This was under Aya. And I found myself at a slaughterhouse. And at the slaughterhouse... So this is a, a visualization. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Under under the plant medicine Aya. And under it, I, I'm at the slaughterhouse and there's pigs and there's cows and they're all standing in line. And I could tap in. I knew that they knew that they were next to be slaughtered. Like they have full awareness. So I started yelling. I'm like, just don't reincarnate. Don't come back here. Like that was my solution. I'm like, just don't come back. Don't come back to the planet. We keep eating you, harming you, hurting you. Just don't come back to the planet. That should solve it. And this pig spoke up and he said, we'll keep coming back until you all figure it out and get it right. We love you that much. And I instantly understood the bigger picture of it all. We're all here to help each other evolve, even the animals. He even has it. Like, he came here knowing, you know. That could be she. Yeah. You know, like, (laughs) like we come here with our plan and purpose. So do they. Okay. So you reminded me that's such a beautiful story. For some reason, you were talking about earlier, and we've we've covered a lot of ground, but you were talking about a sort of maybe an experience you had where you had this understanding, like there might not, the idea of good and evil. Oh, yeah. My awakening um, I had. Like an awakening. And it made me think of something that's very culturally misunderstood, is I'm really, even though I'm not a religious person, I love the beginning of the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, Genesis, which is also it said in the beginning of the Bible, which seemingly a lot of religious people ignore. God tells people to be vegan. You know, it's on the first page of the Bible. <laughs> there's a prescription from God of what we're supposed to eat mm-hmm. plants. Mm-hmm. What does but, it say? Yeah, actually, on the first page of the Bible, it says like, and I give you every seed bearing plant as your food. Yes. 
kind of right there on first yeah. page. But one fascinating thing is this idea that there was a snake and he tempted Eve with an apple. Oh. It's actually not what happened. What Eve and Adam, again, on a figurative metaphoric level, they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate separation. You know, mm. they ate division. If you look at it mm. metaphorically, and I find this so interesting, God didn't kick Adam and Eve out. Adam and Eve left. And God didn't say, like, how dare you? You did a terrible thing. He's like, okay, guess what? Now that you have embodied separation, you have to leave connection with the divine. Everything else is connected with the divine. Animals, insects, trees, they're still living in a state of grace. And we are not. And that helps me to understand the weirdness of humans. Because you look at us, like, our behavior doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, that we kill each other, we kill ourselves, we kill the only home we have, we poison ourselves. We're like, we're so disconnected from the divine, whatever that might be. It's so interesting. People think of this like, oh, well, yeah, Eve was weak, so she ate an mm -hmm. apple. I was like, oh, no, no. It was humans who have separated themselves from the divine. Yeah. But oh. people love that story because, you know, especially men, it empowers them to blame us for all the shit. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's your fault. You ate the apple. There's one other, just, just as a tangent, a really interesting aspect of the creation story. One, it follows exactly the story of the evolution of the universe. You know, in the beginning, there was nothing and there was a big bang. God created light. Whoever God is, whatever light is. And then... Basically, the origin of life in the creation story is exactly what followed on this planet. Things in the ocean, then things on land, and then lastly, humans. Yeah. So that's quite interesting. But there's one other aspect is God is defined as a multiple entity. When God creates humans, he says, oh, they're like us, describing God as a multiple being. As opposed Whoa. to monotheism. It's just this one interesting yeah. line. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting that God identifies as a multi-part being. Missed that one. Along with God prescribing a vegan diet. So we might edit that part <laughs> out because I'm just rambling like a crazy no, person. No, I think, but something really interesting is I keep saying the word compassion. And it's the word I always think about yeah. that we are we are lacking compassion. But I think what you're, what you're saying, and maybe the better word is connection. Mm -hmm. We become so disconnected from how a pig feels, how a cow feels, how the dog on the chain feels, how... How our neighbor feels. How, how our neighbor yeah. feels, how the person right now in Ukraine feels. Yeah. Like how we are how the so Russian soldier feels. How, exactly. Yeah. That's right. Like we are so disconnected from it because I think part of our brain feels like we have to because just keeping this body feels like a lot of work. Mm -hmm. But I think it's it's kind of uh, added nuance to my term of we lack compassion because I also think that we we don't have the same connection. That's a great point. Yeah. And what about this? What if you know all of us are God? Like. You know, it's like you take a glass of water and then like that's a cup of water. But then you stick your hand and you go sprinkle, 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 sprinkle. <laughs> they're all little separate water drops doing their own thing, having their own lives. But they're still part of the whole, mm -hmm. which is what I believe to be. And even in the Bible, and I'm not a big Bible person either, but um, there's two scriptures that says, have I not told you that you were God's? It tells you, and even Jesus says, you'll do greater things than, than I will. But then instead of doing that, we worship a being and put our victimhood into mm -hmm. it. And yeah, it's a whole calamity, but <laughs> it's a calamity. There's a lot of, there's a lot of religious calamity. Out there. A lot, a lot. 
in terms of authors, teachers, leaders, who have you been inspired by? Mm. I will say, um, as far as like a book is concerned, that changed the trajectory of my thinking um, is a gentleman, I think it's Neil Donald Walsh. And he created these series of books called Conversations with God. It helped me come out of a deep programming that even though I wasn't religious, I dibbled, I dibbled and dabbled a little bit of everything. I've tried to, you know, on my search, but I still had a very religious programming and this like, okay, that's God. He's judging me. He's mad at me. Oh, you made this happen in my life. Oh, this happened. You did it. You must have been mad at me. That's why that happened. Like being in a constant state of victimhood and never taking responsibility for anything in my reality that I didn't want to take responsibility for. I was living in Florida going through probably the first time I actually really dis- experienced like real depression. And it's crazy because I have been so judgmental of people who would say, oh, I'm depressed or I'm going through depression. In my mind, I'm like, oh, that's just a choice. Like, I I didn't understand it like that. Like, I had gone through, like, depressing stuff, but I never stayed in it long because I had so many distractions. This time, like, I'm in a city by myself, not knowing anybody, and I'm no friends, and job wasn't going well, and nothing was going right. And I started experiencing, like, real depression. I'm like, oh, God, that's what this is. I'm like, holy shit. But I lived across the street from a library and a beach, like, literally 30 steps, and I'm at the library. So I'm like, let me go in the library and read some books. And this book stuck out like a sore thumb. And in it, he's talking, he's channeling something, like he's channeling God, and he's writing down all these conversations. And in it, God is having like, like he's hilarious. I'm like, I, I know God was funny, you know, like God is hilarious, saying like really crazy stuff and all this acceptance. And I'm like, is this really you? Now, this is where I'm at at this point in my in my journey. I'm like, is this is God funny? You know, and I'm like having all these thoughts. And so it helped me kind of transition out of that judgmental deity and help me tap into something deeper within myself, which, you know, obviously is leading me to where I'm at now, which will lead me to a deeper place later. But that was one of the most profound books um, that changed my life. And um, another one was Saved by the Light by Betty J. Eadie. And she had a probably they say they say her near death experience is one of the most profound um, because of every detail she remembered. And that book was life changing for me as well because of her experiences. They were things that I had experienced in my dreams, talking to roses mm-hmm. or water, being conscious and alive and seeing colors I had never seen on the planet before. And so she's talking about all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And it ended up leading me to like, I ended up having this experience during this deep depression. And I remember I went to the store with someone and there was like an octopus, like it wasn't huge, but it was medium sized like octopus behind the counter that was for sale. And I was just like, oh, that is like so gross. Even though I was eating squid at the time, but I was just, oh, that's so gross. And I said, octopuses are so ugly. Like, why would God make an octopus? Like, they just look so weird. They got all these tentacles. And what is the purpose of an octopus? So that night I had probably the best dream I've ever had in my life. So in the dream, I feel like I'm like in Egypt or Rome or something. There's these pillars 
And I'm following this woman and she turns around and she's me. She has on like white and very angelic and she's telepathically telling me just to trust her and follow her. So I follow her to this really big like open water type pool and in it there's this octopus that his head was like the size of like this room. Mm-hmm. And he is looking at me like he knows me and I'm like, I don't know you and, and I'm terrified. And I'm looking at her like, are you trying to kill me? And she's like, just trust it. He just wants to come near you. So I get in the water and the octopus opens up his tentacles and there's like, felt like it was millions of them. And when he touched me, I was filled with like ecstasy. And that's not even the right word. I don't have the language to describe what it felt like. I remember in the dream, like levitating and seeing all these colors that I'd never seen before. And it was like fire and fireworks and colors. And I felt it in my hair and in my cells. And it was the most intense love. It was pure love, but it was so powerful. I felt like if I would have stayed in that dream another second, I would have died from ecstasy. It Hmm. felt that good. And when I came out of the dream, I could still feel it. It wasn't like I woke up. It was like I was buzzing and tingles and chimes and bells. Like I could feel it. It was still on my body and it felt so good. And I was like, God, if this is what it feels like on this level of existence and give it to everybody so we can just all snap out of it. Like, just don't give it to me. And what ended up happening, like I started making a bargain. Like the next day I was like, okay, God, if you give me this feeling like once a day, I won't have sex. I won't talk to a man. Like I won't do anything. Just give it to me like once a day. And I was like literally like a drug addict. Like I was like begging for the experience again. And it caused me to go into like depression, which is what this woman experienced too after her near-death experience. She went into a depression because she wanted to go back and she wanted to feel all that love and that connection. And I wanted to go back and feel the love and the connection. And I was doing all these bars. I'm like, okay, once a month. Like, okay, you won't give it to me once a week? Give it to me once a month. And whatever you tell me to do, I will. But, you know, that's not how life works. But my mind at the time just was Mm -hmm. trying to bargain with whatever. (laughs) So anyway, that book changed my life because I related to that experience, like going into depression because I wanted to feel that intense, powerful love again. So I know that was a long answer. (laughs) Um, We've talked about veganism. Uh, Lindsay, what's your favorite food? Gwen, I'm going to ask you this question as well. Like, just, just like enjoy for a minute telling me about your favorite meal, your favorite food. Okay, I I have a I love food so much. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. But right now, all I can think about is the food I ate last night <laughs> because it was so good, and I dreamed about the food I had, and it was lovely. I went to there's this place near my house that has Mexican food that's vegan, and I went with our friend Asher Brown who runs Pollution Studios, and we got every single taco that they had <laughs> and we cut them in half and we did a taco Quick question. Sampler. Do you mean every taco they had? So like the They thing, only had six, six tacos. Types six types of tacos. Okay, six. I thought you were saying that they oh, had no. like... Oh no, we ordered every taco they had in the entire restaurant. We, no, no, no. Yeah. We ordered they, like, one... They backed the dump truck of tacos up to the restaurant and like beep, Yeah. Beep, <laughs> and I was beep. just like, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we tried one of every of their vegan uh, tacos and the taquitos. And no, we cut them that. all in half. And they were so delicious. <laughs> I don't even know what they were made out of. I think there was one jackfruit thing. There was one like impossible thing. There was one I don't even know. But oh my God, they were all so good. Okay. And um, 
That's all. That's the only food I can think about right now because I'm still in 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 taco jubilation. I'm mode. enjoying your story, but it also makes me sad because it's making me hungry. I'm, uh-huh. I'm like, I'm visualizing it. I realize that should have come with like a trigger warning. It's like, like now, why 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 are there no tacos here right now? I know. I know. Okay. Um, I would say my favorite food. There's two. It's hard to describe. Well, one is mushrooms. Batter them. Bake them, saute them. If I had to be like stranded with like one food, it would be mushrooms. And then grits. I can't eat them all the time because they give me like heartburn and stuff. But every so often, some grits with some some butter and salt. I don't do the sweet. But yeah. When you say butter, like vegan butter. Yeah, of course. Just want want to make sure. I don't want want you to get canceled. I know, you're right. All of a sudden, the vegans are like, she eats butter. It's like vegan butter. Yeah, <laughs> like Miyoko's butter or something. Yes. Yeah. Which is the That's best. That's the best. That is the best butter. Miyoko's butter gave me hope in vegan dairy products. Yeah. Because I, because vegan dairy products sometimes aren't oh, yeah. the best. But Miyoko's is so delicious. It's better than regular butter. It's better than yes, dairy butter. It is. It has it's, such a nice flavor. Oh, my God. It's so Her good. Her cheeses have, like, this pungent, like, like people that eat dairy cheese, they can enjoy it because yep. it has that pungent sourness yeah. to it that people really like. Ooh. Yeah, it's so, great. Yeah, and I like to sometimes put cheese in my grits when I'm when I'm having them. Um, oh. Okay, so, so mushrooms in all of their forms and grits. Yes. <laughs> what about you? What's your favorite thing? Soups. Uh, He's a okay. man of many soups. <laughs> my, at present, my favorite thing is conchilier pasta. Like it looks like little... Little scoop, shells. Little shelly scoop things. Yeah. Uh, with, I saute tempeh. And then I add, there's this kimchi that I love. Mm, I love kimchi. Where it's like daikon, carrots, cabbage, cayenne, Mm. ginger, kimchi. And then I add that, olive oil, a little bit of toasted sesame seed, black sesame seeds. Oh, you know how to do it right. Yeah. And that is, I got to say, it might sound strange, like pasta with tempeh, kimchi, and toasted black sesame seeds and olive oil, but it's it's very good. The flavors, because you got that that kimchi just, mm, that's making my mouth water now, just saying. I know this conversation was making me so hungry. I have to change the subject because I'm getting too hungry. Okay, so um, okay, so I just have one final like wrap up question ish. Mm-hmm. So you've started some communities and ways that people can get active. Would you mind just kind of telling people how they can get involved with all the work that you're doing, whether it's if they live in Los Angeles or if they live anywhere? Yeah. So um, my my closest project that's close to my heart right now is the Vegans of LA Food Bank. And that was started last May. Uh, Actually, we just hit our one year anniversary and we served like up to in the the main food bank, like a little over 400 people in like two hours. Wow. And it's a beautiful thing because again, like I said, we believe that uh, food is a human right. And I know when I first came to Los Angeles, I said I went from abundance to poverty. I remember having $5 one week to eat with. And that was the scariest feeling I've ever had because I felt like I was just going to be pushed off the edge of the planet because Mm. it felt like no hope. You know, if you can't provide your basic needs, it does diminish how you kind of manifest your reality in a sense. It, It really does. 
So if you can't feed yourself, it's like, how am I going to get this job? How am I going to really feel empowered if I can't even cover my own basic needs? And so the food bank is there for that reason, to help people cover their basic needs. Because again, I don't believe that you should have to earn the privilege of eating healthy food. There should be free food access all over the world. Like I said, the planet already comes with it. So we should be able to provide that for one another. So that is every third Thursday of the month uh, that we have the food bank from 8 to 10. So if people want to get involved, they can uh, reach out to me at vegansoflosangeles underscore or check out vegansofla.com, donate, or you can come and volunteer. We always need people to come and volunteer and help. It's we said a, 8 to 10 in the morning or in the 8 evening? to 10 in the morning. Okay. Yes, 8 to 10 in the morning. And in those two hours, like I said, we get over 400 people um, in that time. And like I said, it's really amazing because there's so much gratitude. I don't know if all food banks are like this, but I know the one that we we do, it's absolutely amazing. It's just, buenos dias, good morning. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Like the gratitude, because we try to make sure there's a nice amount of abundance. We have produce. Uh, we get donations from sometimes GTFO is vegan. Uh, Omni Foods donates. We've gotten stuff from Just Egg, Khalifa, uh, Chobani. Um, and then we have like grains and nuts and walnuts and almonds and rice and beans. And so by the time a person gets to the end of the line, they're pretty loaded up. Mm -hmm. um, and I get high off of it because it's like it helps heal the trauma in me from when I was going through my food insecurity. So to see people come and they're like, can't wait to get something and they leave with all this stuff. I'm like, oh, you're going to eat good for the next couple of weeks. So mm -hmm. it, it I get a Like I said, I get a high off of it. Did I answer your question? Yeah, <laughs> I, so and. What your did you say what your socials are? Yeah, so vegans of Los Angeles for the food bank underscore vegans of Los Angeles underscore. If you want to just hang out with me on my personal, uh, Gwenna the number one. But yeah, those are my socials. Amazing. That sounds okay. so fun. It, it, it is fun. We have a good time. It's very healing. Mm -hmm. Like if you need to like a boost, you're feeling a little bit down. And I'm not saying this because it's like you're going there and you're like, oh, I'm more. I'm I'm in a better position than them. It's not like that. It feels good to be of to service. Give, it's to be very of healing service. to be of service. Yes, it feels good. You're not going there feeling sorry for anybody. Mm -hmm. We don't need that energy. You're not going there thinking, oh, these poor people. That's not it. The the richness is the gratitude and the appreciation and the hope. So yeah, if you need a little boost in your own energy, come for that reason because you'll you'll leave feeling really good. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, one, thank you for being here. Thank Two, thank you for being such a remarkable voice for animals and for humans and for the divine. Um, like we love your perspective, your openness about emotion and spirituality, your compassion. Honestly, just thank you so much for being you and for doing everything yeah. that you do. Your fearlessness is incredibly meaningful. Thank you. And thanks for having me. I really, I was looking forward to this. So thank you so <laughs> much. Well, that was wonderful. I mean, I'm just, I want to just cry and also giggle. One of the things I love about Gwenna's approach to 
animal rights and veganism and activism is the spiritual component, mm -hmm. the sort of like the well-rounded spiritual component of, of course, she's very smart and it's academic and it's informed by evidence, but it also just feels emotional. And I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't sound critical of other people, but it just seems like if you have a spiritual life, spirituality, no matter what the type of spirituality, should involve compassion for everyone and everything. Yeah. And I've DJed and gone to yoga retreats. And one thing that I found very disturbing is sometimes at the yoga retreat, there'll be meditation and the meditation will involve everyone chanting, may all beings be free from suffering. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of those people go and eat meat. Yeah. And I'm really like, I don't, it's so hard to not be judgmental, but how can you at 5 p.m., not you, but how can someone at 5 p.m. chant, may all beings be free from suffering, and then at 5.30 p.m. go eat the dead bodies of beings who have suffered. Like, it's just so, I can't wrap my head around that, just that, that glaring dichotomous inconsistency. Yeah, same. And I also have this, something I really love about Gwenna is how she lets her emotions be so present in her activism. I think a lot of people think that for their activism to be meaningful, they have to show bottom lines. They have to convince people that it just makes the most logical sense, that it's best for the animals or best for the environment, best for human beings. But she is so connected to the emotional side of it, which is just being really, really sad Yeah, that the animals suffer the way that they do. And I think that I sometimes can't go into that because it always is kind of like a running theme in animal rights is just like the horrific tragedy and like the large scale and possibly large tragedy of how many animals are killed every single day for food that I honestly can't let myself get emotional about yeah. it all the time. But I think she's reminded me that part of being an activist, no matter what version of activism you are engaging in, but especially in animal activism, connecting to the emotional side of it can not only be a beautiful release, but also be the thing that keeps you going when you start to lose energy or lose steam or, or lose focus. I completely agree. And there's, there's an authenticity there. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying that the rest of us are disingenuous, but I almost feel like the vulnerability of sadness, the vulnerability of mourning for some people, me especially, it's harder to connect with that in public. It's easier yeah. to connect with cynicism or data or mm -hmm. anger. But that the gentle vulnerability of letting yourself grieve openly, I find to be very primal and beautiful and inspiring. Mm -hmm. And also just our quick recap at the end, little reminder, <laughs> I'll be doing my first DJ event in a very long time with the money going to Gwenna and her organization. Yes. And I'm just going to give a quick little recap of that. October 29th, Raul Campos and I DJing at Gold Diggers at 2 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon. In Los Angeles. $5 to get in with all the money going to Gwenna's food bank. And she'll be there speaking. Um, do you want to say goodbye and, and thank you? I do. People. I want to say I want to say Gwenna's information will be in the show notes of this podcast that you're listening to. So check that out. She's at vegansofla.com. That's where a bunch of information about the food bank will be. And then um, I want to thank Jonathan Nezvadba for editing this podcast like a like a masterful angel. And I also want to thank Human Content 
for putting this podcast out into the world and into your ears. And we'll see you on October 29th and we'll talk to you hopefully before then as well. Yeah. <laughs>